Well, Merry Christmas. I am super glad that you're here and you braved the... Man, has it been cold, this cold in St. Louis in a while? Maybe not, I don't know. But um, it's pretty cold out, isn't it? Um, we got here and my kids just went straight out there to play. Left the door open. Um, so, uh, sorry about that. It's a little chilly in here because of that. But, um, but no, I, I'm just... Uh, I'm super glad you're here. We're going to, if you have a Bible, go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. We're going to look at a, at a passage, at a text um, that theologians have really called the Mount Everest of prophecies. That this is the text, the prophecy of prophecies. Um, and I'll just tell you out of the gate, here's what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus prophesied um, the prophecy of Jesus coming as a servant of love. And so Isaiah here is, is writing during a time of, of a lot of just uh, struggle, a lot of corruption, uh, a lot of evil that's happening. And he's writing this prophetic word about us, uh, this coming love that's going to bring rescue out of that and rescue in the midst of that. And as we journey through this, one of the things that is really important for us to see is that for us here in the 21st century, we look at this passage, and a lot of this makes sense. A lot of this, um, especially if you're a Christian, especially if you've been around church for very long, you, you, the words that we're going to see, you're like, yeah, this is, this is speaking prophetically about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, but we have to understand that there's a lot of things that have played into us understanding that and, and seeing that. But for the prophets in that day, um, th- this was a little crazy talk. Um, Isaiah in this time, he, he, was, he was talking about a suffering servant. And there's no prophet that had ever spoken like that. Um, as I was studying, I came across this, this illustration that describes the, the work of a prophet. For prophecy, um, if you ever read prophecy, a lot of times you're, you, you kind of have a lot of questions in your minds. Well, when it came to a, a prophet and a prophet like, like foretelling or looking into the future in a sense and he, hearing from God and speaking on behalf of, of God, here's what it would be equated to. It'd be like standing back and looking at a mountain range. Anybody ever been to the mountains? Okay, um, you stand back and you look at this mountain range, and really what you see is, is it, looks like, it looks like one mountain, right? Um, but the closer you get, the more you realize, okay, there, there's a whole lot of mountains here. There's, there's a whole lot of peaks and a whole lot of valleys that make up the, what from, from far back make up that one mountain. And so for, for the prophets, oftentimes they would, they would be inspired by the Lord to speak about what God was doing and what God was going to do. Um, but they would oftentimes just see the, the one peak and not necessarily be able to articulate all the different specifics of what would come. And so there might be a lot of questions for them, even as a prophet, about what's to come. There might be a lot of questions, even for us. Like, but the closer you get, the more you navigate, the more you begin to see, hey, here, here's this valley, here's this peak. And, and, and all of these things make up the bigger, grander picture of, of what God is speaking through these prophets. For us, we have an advantage, right? We have the other prophets that we can compare with this one. We have numerous years, like 2,700 years, where we've lived to see what's happened. We've lived to see 
this come to pass? In the New Testament, um, probably one of the greatest, most quoted passages in the New Testament is Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And so the Mount Everest of texts. Um, before we dive into it, I want to I point something out. So we've spent, this will be week four, that we've covered hope, joy, peace, and love. And we've spent um, these four weeks looking at these topics. And here's what I want us to see and what I want us to really focus on as we journey through Isaiah 53 is this. That God doesn't just give us hope and give us joy and give us peace and give us love so that we then could just have a good Christmas. Like, today isn't about us grasping the coming love of Jesus Christ so that we can just have a good week leading up to Christmas and then have a good Christmas because we're surrounded by the fact that we're loved by God. Okay? The hope of what we're going to see today is a servant that came and did that for us, that he might do it through us. Okay? That we would be a people who exude in all of our lives hope and joy and peace and love and maybe even to some extent through the the repentance of where it isn't in our lives that people would see hope, joy, peace and love. Not that we would just be consumers of these great gifts but that we would be Givers, And so Jesus is the servant of love. Go um, go to Isaiah 53. I'm just going to take um, a few sections here. Let's let's look at the first three verses. It says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him, for he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Um, Have you ever had anything unexpected happen to you? Um, the answer is yes. Yeah. So all of us have. We've had things that have happened to us that totally didn't expect that. And some of the times the things that we don't expect are the things that we don't want. The unexpected is the unwanted. Sometimes the unexpected is actually what, but what you want. But here we see in this passage the unexpected and the unwanted aspect of God's love. So when I was a kid, this is a story I've probably told several years ago, but when I was a kid, um, I, I saw a Christmas present that my dad um, was getting ready to wrap, and I was ecstatic about it. And so um, I knew exactly how big it was, uh, the, the shape and size of it. And so come Christmas Day, you know, I go to the tree, and I'm like, that's the one. You know, it was right in the front. I was like, that's, that's the remote control car that I saw that I want. I'm going to that thing. And so I grab it, and then my dad's got this big grin on his face. And he, I was like, he knows I'm excited to open this car. And so I, I tear it open fully expecting it to be exactly what I saw my dad walking down the hall with, trying to hide from me. Um, But my dad's a pretty smart guy. And so he had created a replica present that looked from the outside exactly like what the actual present was. And so I tear it open, and inside is like empty boxes of Kleenex and toilet paper um, and and I, I literally cried. Like, I was a little kid. Uh, I literally, if I was a grown person, I probably would have cried too. Um, but I, but I, I literally cried. I was so mad. And my, my dad, like, 
Like, they felt so bad, they went, like, to the back of the tree, dug out the present, and they handed me the actual one, um, because they didn't know it was going to be that, um, that big of a deal. Um, but it was, it was completely unexpected, completely unexpected what would happen. And in turn, I didn't want it. This is what we see in these first three verses describing the servant of love that's being prophesied about. This Jesus who would come in the form of a baby that we celebrate on Christmas. He was unexpected and unwanted. We see that. It's crazy. What would we expect from a king? What would we expect from this one who would come and save? Probably not a baby. Probably not humility. Notice it says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Okay, he wasn't the choice. He wasn't the like, man, let's pick out a king. Let's pick out a savior. Let's pick out the one. Nobody wanted him. Nobody liked him. It wasn't the present that you'd go and be like, I want that one. No. Despised. Rejected. He had no form or majesty, no beauty. People didn't stand back at him and look like, like, wow, how beautiful. He's like the ugliest baby ever. Some of you are like, there's no such thing as an ugly baby. We can talk later. Um, no, he just wasn't wanted. He was unexpected and he was unwanted. You ever notice how crazy it is that God, God chooses the weak things? He chooses the unlikely things. He chooses what's unexpected and what's unwanted to do unbelievable things. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians that says this. But God chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things in the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So no one could be like, look at me. Look at me. It's Jesus. That's what we see in this baby that would become a king that would be torn to shreds for you and for me. He's unexpected and un. Wanted, even to the point where there's a refusal to look at him. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I think this is it's crazy, okay? The God of the universe who spoke our lives into being. What does it say? He was acquainted with grief. What kind of king who has all power and all authority says, I want to get into that mess? I want to get into that suffering. I want to get into that sorrow. I want to get into that grief. He was acquainted with it. He knew it well. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was the servant of love. Paul Tripp puts it this way. Very profoundly, Jesus was willing to be despised. He was willing to be rejected. He was willing to subject himself to hatred and violence. He was even willing to have the Father turn his back on him. Why? So that as his children, you and I would be able to live in the hope and peace of knowing that no matter what we face in the human community, we are perfectly and eternally loved by 
him. Amen? How awesome is that? Loved by God, the unexpected and unwanted love. Look at verse 4. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we're talking about love this week. And there's a lot of different um, kinds of love we could look at. There's a lot of different types of love we could look at. Here what we see in this passage is the authenticity of love. That What's marked by Jesus is a love that suffers so others don't have to. Right? If you think about the story of Jesus, think about all that he went through. What did he do? He took our place. He was the substitute. So, so this is what authentic love is. Right? In, in small part, it's doing the dishes so your spouse doesn't have to. It's scraping the ice off the car for someone. Anybody do that this morning? Babe, I got, I got it. I'll go, I'll go get the car. You go out like, babe, where are you at? Oh, you're frozen. Like stuck on the windshield because it's negative 11. Um, it's bringing someone food that's sick. Okay, these are all examples of like, listen, I want to step in to love you and to be a substitute for you so that you don't have to do that. Okay, and Jesus did it eternally because at the, at the core of who Jesus was was his heart to be about the ministry of healing. The ministry of healing. That's, that's who he was in, in entering into this world. Was that he would be a savior. This coming love who would come to bring healing to us. Now, you'll notice if you picked up on it in verse 4, there's some confusion. Okay, it says, surely he's bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Okay, like, like surely like he's doing this for us, yet, yet there's some. Look at, look at the second part of verse 4. Yet we esteemed, him, we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. So some were like, no, he's suffering for his own sin. He's suffering for his own shame. He's suffering for his, his own actions. But then Isaiah clarifies. Um, but no, he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. Okay, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and with his wounds we are healed. So th- there's several words in this passage that I think really help us see what authentic love is. Pierced? You ever been pierced? Okay, the puncture of the flesh. Does it feel good? I, I don't. I've never. I haven't yet. Asking for Christmas, if I could, no. Um, Pierce, the puncture of the flesh, nails in his hands. Scripture says he was punctured in his side. Why? For our transgressions, for our, the breaking of boundaries, the refusal to, um, to live within the boundaries, but to violate the boundaries. He was, so he was pierced, he was crushed. It's just like mentally, um, what is that? Uh, 
what's the English term for the word that like it sounds like what it is? An onomatopoeia or something like that? Huh? Okay. We could have an English debate later. But uh, like what? Yes. Like crushed. <laughs> crushed. Guess it depends on how you read it or how you say it. But he was, he was crushed. Like will, willingly. Willingly. Okay, do you, know, do you know what iniquity is? Okay, it's similar to sin, but it, it has this focus on the punishment aspect of it. So when it says he was crushed, what it's saying is, is that he, he was literally destroyed as an offering for our guilt. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was chastised. Um, I, I've done a lot of chastising, uh, and I've been a part of a lot of chastising, um, but the, like, I remember playing sports in college and in high school, and I remember, like, first half, like, it was just a terrible half. And you went in the locker room, and you knew there was the, the ultimate of chastisements coming, okay? A verbal reprimand. Okay, that would be, uh, you know, a motivation, um, would, be, would, would possibly like cut through to your soul to help you realize, okay, we need to change something. We need to do something different. What's happening here is Jesus is enduring. Isaiah is prophesizing about the fact that he will endure a verbal reprimand. Okay, mocked. Okay, spoken terribly of some of the words that he endured even words that he endured as a baby, you know, Herod and others who were speaking terribly of him. He was mocked for us. He was wounded. Wounded. So, like, willingly, willingly put in a place where he would receive pain so that we wouldn't have to. Beaten, bloodied. Why? Okay, why? So I point out all these words, why? Because at the heart and the core of baby Jesus come to this world is a ministry of healing, that he would be a servant of love. Because he took our place by entering in as a substitute for us. And then I love verse 6. Just a, like honest confession. Have you ever had those moments? Like they're so hard to get to. Like confessing, like coming to grips where it's like, okay, I need to confess my sin to this person uh, or even to the Lord. Like it's so hard to get to that point. But when you do, it's so freeing. Look at verse 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's just confessing. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a substitute. It's interesting. Look, look at the end of verse 6. The Lord laid it on him. So the sovereignty of God sending his son to be the authentic love, to be the one who would bear our sin, he encountered it on our behalf. Let me ask you this. 
So Jesus comes and he enters in as a servant of love to be a, suff- to be a sufferer. Who can you suffer for this Christmas? Who is it? Who, who can you suffer for? Suffer for. It's interesting because we, we, you know, we step into the season and we can tend to think like, how can I have this great experience or how can I have this great Christmas? When in all reality, what we're trying to live out as God's people is that we'd be a suffering servant of love for others. For others. So we're like, yeah, like buying Christmas presents for my kids. Like I got to wrap them all and spend all this money and... Well, obviously, it goes a little bit deeper than that, but it might include that. Who can you suffer for this Christmas? Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made, him, uh, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Okay. On the cross, being beaten, spit upon, abused, he says nothing. Is that crazy to anybody else? He, he says nothing. He says he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the So he had every ability, every power to destroy, even with his thoughts, even with his words. He opened not his mouth. Why? Why? Why would he not speak up? Why would he not, like, you ever want to have those moments where you're like, you got it coming to you? Like, maybe you don't, like, stop him, but it's like, oh, you, you just wait. Like, keep beating me up. You, you just wait. Big brother's coming. It's going to get you. No, he didn't even say that. He didn't even mock him or abuse him. Because his silence showed his willingness to submit to his father's perfect will. He's silent because he's like, I trust in a loving God who sent me. Listen, let's be those kind of people this week as servants of love who trust in a God who sends us that even when we're mocked and oppressed, we would say, you know what? I'm not going to give in to the lower way and the lesser way to return words or actions in the way that I've received them, but I'm going to trust in something bigger and trust in something higher that is namely the will and the wisdom of my perfect Father because he's loved me perfectly. Verse 8 says he was judged and justice was restrained. That he suffered not only due to, but because of the injustice in the world. That's why he suffered. There was injustice in the world because of the injustice in the world. But who would care? Like, well, that's what it says. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for this generation, who considered that he was cut off and cut out of the land of the living? Like, who, who would possibly care. Well, we know from earlier on that he was despised and rejected. Most wouldn't care. Most wouldn't see it as significant. I was at one of the best uh, hair salons in, in the country uh, yesterday. Um, they cut some great hair. That's why they're called great clips. Um, and uh, I was just uh, having a conversation, uh, more so listening um, to the person who was cutting my hair because they had a lot to say. 
And so I was just listening, and she was just talking about Christmas and talking about how crazy it is that she has to buy presents for her son, and it's not even his birthday, and, you know, this is Jesus' birthday, but it's really not his birthday because he definitely would have been born in the winter, and she just goes on and on and on about us oh, just a made-up holiday. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up a holiday. Can I, can I make up a holiday? Anyway, like, it's, like, it's a good thing you cut, make a good haircut. Um, anyway, it was, it, was just, it was just really, really interesting. Here's the point. Who considered that he was condemned? Who considered? No one. Okay? Because it takes the revelation of God. Like, let me give you an example. So, um, Isaiah, that's what Isaiah is pointing out here. In, in the Gospels, you have Matthew when it's asked of Simon Peter, who is Jesus? Look at what he says. I think we have this on the screen. Matthew 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he makes this confession, you're Jesus. Like, essentially, like, Christmas is real. Jesus was really born. He really died. You're really who you are. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed to this. So this isn't like your own, like, oh, I see it. No. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here's the question for us. Has God revealed himself to you? Listen, if the answer to that question is yes, gosh, praise his name. Like, like literally, Praise his name that he's opened our eyes to see his wonder and his might and his beauty. Praise his name. And if the answer is no, listen, pray that he will. Pray that he will. Or if you're in kind of this in-between, God, where are you at? What are you doing? Pray that on this Christmas You'd see the preciousness of his son. Because flesh and blood can't reveal to you. I can't, listen, I, I can't stand here and through the awesomeness of s- some f- human movement or words stir up some type of transformation in your heart, let alone my heart. God, reveal yourself to us for only you can. But let me ask, let me, let me take this a step further. As you engage your family and your friends in this Christmas season, might you do it with a heart of unlimited love? Okay? Love that has no limits like Jesus' love does, but with a foundation of prayer. God, stir your heart. Or stir hearts, stir affections. Reveal yourself to a people who are blind. Because at times I'm blind, at times I don't see right, at times I don't hear right, at times I'm missing it. Reveal yourself. But it's crazy because in verse 9 we see this enigma where, the, where it talks about this like the, the wicked and the rich. Okay? They made his grave with the wicked. Okay? So in one part it's signifying rejected. Okay? We talked about that, this rejected by man. Yet, he was with a rich man at his death, right? What happened after he died? Okay, there was a rich man, 
of Arimathea named Joseph who came and asked for his body. Why? Signifying the will of God trumping the wickedness of man. That God's got a plan and God's doing a work in the, even in the midst of the injustice of the crucifixion of the perfect God. Although he had done no violence. Listen, this is love without limits. So how can you celebrate that kind of love this Christmas? How can you even? How can we even pray that God would stretch our love? Because because none of us have none of us love without limits. All of us have limits on our love. Or even though we say we, we, we try not to, or we say we shouldn't, there's lines where like I, I can't do that, or I can't take that step. But as we be people who bask in the servant of love, might we be people who ask God diligently to make us greater lovers of others? Look at verse ten. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When, he makes, or when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many." And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. It's interesting. Does does verse ten like strike anybody as like awkward? It was the will of the Lord to crush him? Like, is God sadistic? It's crazy. It was the will of God. Why did it please God to crush Jesus? That's what we celebrate in Christmas. Is the, because of our salvation and the glory of, of God. Because sin and death couldn't ultimately crush him. What he would endure, what he would come and he would become acquainted with grief, Right? It wouldn't ultimately destroy him, but it would produce something for him, for us, for the glory of God's name that would be mighty. Men were the ones who despised and pierced and rejected the servant Jesus, but it was God who was behind the scenes causing man's iniquity to fall on him. Listen, this wasn't a tragic mistake. This wasn't a tragic miss. This wasn't like God losing his power or losing his control. More so it was or, ordained. Look at this passage. Acts 2.22 says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. 
Jesus didn't wrestle sinners to safety out of the hands of an angry God. His sacrifice to save sinners was in perfect harmony with the will of the Father. Listen, this is sovereign love. God, the sovereign one, sovereignly expressing his love. Okay, how, how, would, how would we define a successful life? Like, what kind of things would we, what our society, what our world mark as, this is what a successful life looks like? Because for Jesus, it included much suffering and pain and beating and failures and being accused of a lot of things, being said a lot of terrible names. And he, he lost his life. That's a win, right? Do we celebrate those kind, of, those kind of people, that kind of life? That's a win because God is sovereign and God's in control and he was with Jesus. But it's sufficient. Look at verse 11. By the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. Do you think Jesus ever, ever questioned the purpose of his pain? Do you think in those moments Jesus was ever like, like God, why? why? Why do I have to endure this? Maybe I get that the holidays can be a really challenging time um, for some can be a really, uh, just an open door to some hard suffering and hard pain. Um, but look at verse 11. Might, might you just cling, if that's you, might you just cling to verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Out of the, ang- like out of the suffering, God allowed Jesus to see. Here's what this is producing. Like you in that pit, you in that struggle. Might God open your eyes a little bit today to see the fruit. This is going to bear, bear something for you. This is going to be good for you. Jesus begins to see that. Might we see that the love of Jesus is sufficient for you this Christmas? I was having a conversation with somebody who's struggling through some immense struggle and suffering in his family. And uh, he was talking about how much he needed his job, and his job was all he had, and I can't lose this job, it's my only hope. You know, and I just, I just said, and I don't know if this guy's a believer or not, I just said, listen man, Jesus is your only hope. Why? Like, why? Why, why would I say that? Does that seem insensitive? No, he, here's the truth of the reality, is that the love of Jesus is enough to sustain us through the darkest and biggest struggles in our lives. Why? Because in Christ, what does it say? He's made many to be accounted righteous. Like, like you're enough. Like, you're good enough. Okay? The insecurities that you face, the struggles that you face, his love is sufficient. Can we just confess this morning? where we run to find sufficiency. Like, I got the love of Jesus, but I also need this. God, help us to see that your love is sufficient, that in Christ we're perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous. And then verse 12, 
Therefore, I will divide him a, him a portion among the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he poured, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Listen, this Jesus that we celebrate, his sufficient love, his sovereign love, we see him exalted. What, what Isaiah is prophesying here is that even in the midst of his pain, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. What he's saying is that Jesus is going to be exalted. He's going to be lifted up. Justice will reign. And Jesus wins. So what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? What in the world does exalted love have to do with Christmas? It's that we would be, you and I would be a people that would live in the midst of a, not a dead God, right? Not just a, a weak baby, but one who is exalted and is lifted up and is worthy to receive glory and honor in and through our lives that we would be people who would be changed by his love, but also that we would be people who would seek to live out exalting this amazing servant of love. I want to read Paul Tripp's quote again. Jesus was willing to be despised. He was willing to be rejected. He was willing to subject himself to hatred and violence. He was even willing to have the Father turn his back on him so that as his children, you and I would be able to live in the hope and peace of knowing that no matter what we face in the human community, we're perfectly and eternally loved by him. Listen, this is what, this is what Christmas is all about. And so this morning, as we celebrate And as we consider the upcoming week leading up to Christmas, might we be people who experience the love of Jesus in a supernatural way, but give the love of Jesus in a supernatural way. Let's pray and let's prepare to sing and and respond to the Lord. Father, I thank you that you're sovereign and you reign. God, it never gets old talking about your love. Forgive us when we are boarded by it. When we find that, yeah, we know we're loved by God, yada, yada. God, it never gets old. God, thank you that your love is sufficient. God, I pray that you would supernaturally speak to our hearts now. God, show us how this impacts our lives. Show us how, specifically for each person that's here, specifically what they're walking through, what they're walking into in this final week leading up to the celebration of Christmas. Or maybe for some, they're in an immense amount of pain and struggle and just want to go into a hole. And maybe for others have amazing, loving community and people around them. God, all of us in different ways 
God, we need to be impacted by your love. God, show us tangibly what that looks like this morning. That we would go into this week changed, but furthermore, that we would go into this week to be people that love of the overflow of your immense service of love in our lives. God, would you do what only you can do in our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.